This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here. Normally Coach Hogg at this moment, but we're going to put Coach Hogg off just a little bit for our remembrance of 9-11. Uh, we, of course, are in the Manly Warthog Man Cave and in the Melbourne Law Studio, the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida Gators and protected 24-7, 365 by crime prevention and sponsored by Pose of Medical, uh, Shoot GTR, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, we'll do Coach Hogg right after we talk about 9-11 a little bit. I was a little bit surprised today as I did a little research and prep for the show to um, not see anything on the front page of the Gainesville Sunset, not really see anything in the Wall Street Journal, article ultimately buried farther back. And I thought, you know, what's up with this picture? You know, we really should take a few moments out and reflect on this event because it changed our lives forever in so many ways. September 11th, 22 years since the terrorist attack on the World Trade Center and the Pentagon. Don't forget the Pentagon. Uh, according to USA Today, who's done some research on this, uh, 60 to 38% of those sur- surveyed in a USA Today Suffolk University poll said this changed American lives forever. I really don't like to recall a lot of this because it's distasteful, um, upsets me, particularly upsets me to realize that there were, it was a boy scout troop on one of those planes. What did they do to deserve all this? But this was the morning of September 11th. It was United Airlines Flight 175. American Airlines Flight 11. They took off from Boston en route to California. And of course, they crashed into the north and south towers of the World Trade Center in New York City. American Airlines Flight 77 hit the Pentagon. And I have a friend who was working in the Pentagon when that occurred, since retired, came very close to his office. Imagine that. Imagine the surprise of that. And, of course, it hit the Pentagon while passengers attempted to overtake United Airlines Flight 93 from those hijackers before it crash-landed in Pennsylvania. The rallying cry of the guys who tried to stop that who were passengers was, let's roll. Let's roll. The... 9-11 attacks left almost 3,000 dead, 2,977. 
across New York, D.C., Pennsylvania. And this is according to the statistics of the 9-11 Memorial and Museum. Uh, the total includes 2,753 who died after the plane struck the Twin Towers, 184 at the Pentagon, and 40 in the Flight 93, which nosedived into the soil of Pennsylvania. Now, the youngest flight passenger was Christine Hansen, a two-year-old on her way to Disneyland on United Airlines Flight 175. The oldest was Robert Norton, 82, who was on American Airlines Flight 11. Now, we know that these 19 hijackers from militant Islamic extremists. And they died also. The 9-11 victims are, as you know, memorialized at the site of the former World Trade Center towers. Their names are engraved at the base of these towers uh, at this memorial. How many firefighters do you think died on 9-11. 343 firefighters died on 9-11. And that time, at that time, that was nearly half the number of on-duty deaths in the New York City Fire Department's entire 100-year history. In 2019, it was reported that the 200th New York City firefighter had died from ground zero illnesses, the effects of the toxic contaminants, traumatic injuries, and physical and emotional stress. According to the World Trade Center Health Program, over 71,000 individuals have been diagnosed with physical and mental health conditions brought on by exposure to the dust, the smoke, the degree, and the trauma of the 9-11 attacks. How many 9-11 victims were never found? As near as we can determine, about 40% of the victims have yet to be identified. This is according to the New York City Office of Chief Medical Examiner. That's about 1,106 people. In September 2021, finally identified the 1,646th and 47th victims with a DNA analysis. It was insurance broker Dorothy Morgan and a man whose identity has been withheld at the request of his family. This effort to identify World Trade Center victims is the largest and most complex forensic investigation in the history of the United States. I thought it was worthwhile to open the show with that look back. I don't like to look back at that. I remember where I was sitting exactly 
I was sitting at my computer at the college, and a friend called me. Uh, it was a lady friend because men are all working at that time. She was home as a housewife, just needed to call somebody and exclaim and called me. I picked up the phone. And at that time, my friend thought it was a small plane which had flown into the towers. Well, shortly thereafter, of course, that became clear that it was not a small plane. So I remember where I was, remember what I was doing, perhaps you do too. And after that, it just became unimaginable. And we collectively became, at that moment, looking back, we feel as united as we have ever been as a country, which is now enormously divided, completely the opposite from what that event did. So we will get ready now to do the Coach Hog intro, but I wanted to open the show out of respect for the 9-11 and those who have been affected by it, which is literally all of us. We've made some tremendous changes. Of course, it's taken away some of our freedoms. We now are inspected high and low before we get on planes. Um, things are much more arduous, you hope. You can't just do this. Um, anybody who wants to flight train is now under tremendous investigation. So now we're in 2023. Let's pray for the best and try to do the best we can with that memory. Coach Hall, please, production. I'll give it a high sign to you when you let me know we're ready. Ready to go? All right, we're going to do Coach Hog now. And um, let me talk with you a little bit about, obviously, the biggest sporting event in the United States this weekend. It was not football. It was the U.S. Open. And the U.S. Open drew a record number of crowds. And we had our local guy here. We did pretty well against the number one player in the world. Well, number two, maybe now. That goes back and forth, but he'll certainly actually is the number one. The oldest player to ever win the U.S. Open. Um, Novak Djokovic, 36 years old. On the female side, the youngest player to ever win the U.S. Open, 19-year-old Coco Gauff. Very interesting. Imagine if Coco can go to age 36. Wow. I won't be around to see that. But throwing match, and actually the number two or three player who lost in the finals to the number one or number two, if you will, Novak, really lost more badly than did our local guy, uh, Ben Shelton. So, we got a lot to look forward to here locally. He used to hit Tennis balls, right at the court, right play, or did play, when he was just a kid. And he still really is, in a way, just a kid. He's only 20. So that was a very big event. There is, of course, a funny story associated with tennis, and that is the problem of tennis balls. You know, tennis balls differ 
are affected by all sorts of things. Closing of the roof, opening of the roof, changes the pressure in the room, changes the fuzz on the ball, changes the uh, the court surface, changes the speed with which the ball travels. Manufacture of the ball. Two or three big-name manufacturers. Different, can be very different. And they change them out, I believe, every seven games because the pros beat them up so badly. So members of the research team have sent me this interesting kind of aside. What do you do with these tennis balls? Well, if you're a pro, you use them, of course, to practice with. There's nothing basically wrong with them, except sooner or later, those become no longer usable, and you've got to recycle them. And the manufacturers of the tennis ball have not made a ball yet that is um, easy to recycle. These things are virtually indestructible. They are uh, made with a very resistant mechanical process deliberately, and they're built to try to last forever. So what do you do? The environmentalists want to know. What do you do with these things? Well, it's a difficult question. Uh, Sometimes you see them on the front of people's walkers because they cushion and slide across the floor when you're pushing a walker. Um, You sometimes give them an old balls for dogs. Um, You put them on the bottom of chairs. Um, You grind them down and make something else out of them. Uh, Footing for horse arenas. Perfect. Well, all of these questions come up. Uh, The biggest barrier to recycling the ball is the difficulty with removing the felt from the rubber core because how effective the glue is that's designed to hold the cover on when it's really hit hard by a tennis player. And this felt is a problem. It's a blended combination of wool and nylon that can't be recycled. So the very top-level tennis balls, such as Wilson U.S. Open Extra Duty, which is used at Flushing Meadows at the U.S. Open, is only made from newly created virgin rubber. Now, what's wrong with that? Well, it's leading to the deforestation of the rubber trees in the Amazon. Wow. You just can't win in this respect or losing. Another issue is the carbon footprint are the places where the most balls are made, Thailand and China, because the balls have to be shipped thousands of miles to North America and Europe, where most of the tennis is played. Uh, So it's really difficult to recycle a ball, and it's even more difficult, maybe, to design a recyclable ball. We don't know if we'll ever get that done. Um, So the waste hierarchy has got its eye on it, but God forbid uh, we change the ball to something solid. You know, it used to be white, and now it's orange. Not orange, kind of yellow. For lesson, to be seen a lot easier. I remember playing when I first started with the white tennis ball. So um, that's all gone now. There you are. What do you do with old tennis balls? Well, wrong for your dog for a while. The, of course, football season is upon us. And 
I have to say that I watched yesterday our own local A.R. Richardson play for the Indianapolis Colts, who lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars, whom I rooted for. So Richardson was Richardson. Fast, he ran too much. He threw well, but he did throw deep. He really didn't look as if he could compete very well with the quarterback, of course, for Jacksonville Jaguars, who is probably a better quarterback. That quarterback throws deep, can run, can do the whole thing. But, of course, he's been in the league a lot longer. So the jury is out on how Richardson will do. He will continue to start. Hopefully he'll get continue to get better. Uh, he's paid plenty of money, and they're betting on him to be the one who carries him. So we'll see. The league, of course, has its favorites. Oh, yeah, I'm on the 49ers. I want the Falcons, all this. I'll just let you alone, let you pick out your own favorite, of course. And that would become the one you track and bet on, I assume. But you have to associate the word Nike with sports practically at any level. Are you going to associate Nike with shoes? Yes. Are you going to associate Nike with clothing? Yes. And do you associate Nike with Portland, Oregon? Yes. Portland, Oregon. Oregon, with Steve Prefontaine, is where the Nike shoe started or track, the waffle design. But now, get this. Unbelievable. The place where Nike began, there in the Northeast, in Portland, Oregon, is closing its store in Portland, Oregon because of safety and security issues. You know what that means? Too much theft in the retail space. Nike closing its store in Portland, Oregon because of too much retail theft. It's called the Seoul District Business Association. It announced in a news release Friday that Nike is closing the store and it confirmed that the outlet would be reimagining its resale space and is considering future locations as part of the community's long-term revitalization plan. Okay, you can read between the lines what's happening. You've got to get out of that part of town. Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler, of course, as you can imagine, tried to work with Nike to ease safety challenges. I love this language that they come up with, the liberals, to try to soften the blow of reality. The bottom line is it wasn't safe to work there. It wasn't safe to shop there. And the liberal cops and the city politics didn't do anything about it. Because the city said it would not provide off-duty officers from the Portland Police Bureau 
because they had a staffing shortage. Imagine that. A police staffing shortage in Portland, Oregon. Imagine that. But to hear the bureaucrats in Portland talk, they say they have worked tirelessly and in good faith. What is good faith? With Nike for almost a year to offer creative solutions to the safety challenges. Huh? And that now the bureaucrats are realizing private business leaving is not good. And that they don't have a police force, even with off duty, that could help. The Nike community store. Are you ready for the street it's on? The Nike community store is on Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. It has left because of crime and homelessness. Now, you can't make this stuff up. The Nike Community Store, which was on Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard, left because of crime and hopelessness. Homeless, homelessness and probably hopelessness. Last month, Portland businesses, not just Nike, a report came out. That between 2020 and 2021, Portland lost $1 billion because people and their businesses are leaving the city. The retail theft has affected business owners large and small. There you go. Coming to a liberal city near you. No doubt. Huh? Well, well, well. I don't know what else to say about that. Are you familiar with the kiss? Do you know what the kiss is? Huh? The president of the Royal Spanish Football Federation. You might as well put the president of the Macho Royal Spanish Football Federation is resigning. Why is he resigning? Well, his kiss on the lips of Spanish forward Jenny Hermoso was evidently unwanted. He kissed her, soccer player, following Spain's victory in the Women's World Cup. And initially, Ruby House referred to his critics as false feminists. But finally, caved to the feminists, man, for a 
Spanish male. The guy may not ever be able to sleep again at night. But he said he's going to resign because he can't do his work anymore. He says he has to focus on his dignity and continue his life. And it's spilling over the criticism he's getting and affecting his family, his friends, and his daughters. It's called the unwanted smooch. He always said that the unwanted smooch was consensual, saying it was a spontaneous kiss, mutual, euphoric, and consensual. Euphoric. Spanish male. Euphoric. Huh? Hermoso, who got the kiss, disagreed. She said, I want to clarify that at no time did I consent to the kiss he gave me. I do not tolerate my word being questioned, much less that words are invented that I have not said. There you go. There you go. Case closed, right? Case closed. I saw something I'm going to close this with. Pat McAfee. I watched the Alabama-Texas game. And for the longest time, I couldn't figure out what I was seeing. There were these guys down there in wife beater t-shirts. This McCaffrey, McCaffrey, McAfee. You know what a wife beater t-shirt is? It's the sleeveless Basically, it's an underwear shirt. But we've turned it into tolerable shirt for TV on sideline. And they had, and this is a deal worked out between, of all things, YouTube, ESPN, a whole bunch of them, to let this crazy kind of presentation comment on the Texas-Alabama game. It drove me nuts. I didn't need all of them chattering. I didn't need all of them jumping up and down. I didn't need all that faux manly stuff on the sideline. I want to see the game. All these commentators irritate me anyway. But when you put, I believe, total, a total of eight on the sideline, running their yaks, and half the time the camera's on them, you got a split screen. Have you lost your mind? What, what's going on here? I don't get it. But apparently, that's supposed to, of course, create more money, create more ratings. Really? You got to be kidding. And, of course, Alabama got beat. It's like the world turned upside down. Meanwhile, people ask about the Florida game. I don't even comment on the Florida game. You can't tell anything. You can't tell anything. 
Case closed. You know, who, who knows? I'll play anybody. So, you know, maybe they've improved. Maybe they haven't. Maybe it's the same old thing. The biggest story, not just in college football, but the biggest story in sports right now is Deion Sanders. Like him or not, he is drawing more people than any other team or coach. The broadcasters are starting to follow him around, change their schedules to be there because his teams are exciting to watch. I worry about the guy being there long because of his health problems. He has blood clots. He's had two toes removed. He limps out there. I don't know how long he can go on like that. So if you like exciting football, if you like watching fast-paced, hard-hitting, well-coached team, I recommend you do it now because I don't know how long it'll last. It's one of those moments when the stars have lined up with the transfer portal, the coaching staff, and primetime to produce an exciting product for the football aficionado. So make the best of it while you can. They're going to be on television again next week. And who knows where they're going to wind up. I promise you, though, they will be exciting to watch. Coming up now will be our weather report with Ward's Weather in just a moment. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. Attention all Gator fans, Meldon Law is giving away a chance to experience the Florida Georgia game like never before. Two nights stay at the Hilton on the River, dinner at Ruth Chris Steakhouse, two premium tickets to the game, and a football signed by Coach Billy Napier, and much more. Go to the Meldon Law Facebook page and look for the VIP experience for two. Good luck and go Gators! This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, Large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company. Shoot, 
GTR, on-the-spot dry cleaners, R&R construction, and style cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All these poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! All right, Ward's Weather brought to you by Lewis Oil, Chevron Station's fossil fuel. You know, it is uh, going to be in the low 90s here. And today is a high in the Piney Woods in North Central Florida. And we can just begin to tell a little bit about fall coming. So the way you know is the leaves. When those leaves start falling, keep an eye on that. You know, um, a couple of big problems of weather. I don't think you can call it weather. Is the earthquake, of course, in Morocco. I'm not sure that's weather. I haven't seen anyone try to twist it and blame it on global warming, climate change. I haven't seen that. I'm not saying they haven't. I just haven't seen it. But I'm, I'm always looking for sound research on what is going on in our weather. And I ran across Nobel Prize laureate John Clouser. He is a recipient of the 2022 Nobel Prize in Physics uh, from from contributions to quantum mechanics. And he holds degrees from Caltech and Columbia University. And he's been all over the place with respected uh, schools and studies. And he has declared, are you ready for this? That there is no climate emergency. That climate change science is not conclusive. And that the Earth's history over thousands of years shows it's consistently changing its climate. And he says that the current climate models that are used have very serious limitations. They ignore the fact that enriching the atmosphere with CO2 is beneficial, he says. He further notes that both natural and human activities contribute to climate change, and the actual warming observed is less than as predicted by the climate models. 
and that we incompletely understand climate change. Now, one of the focuses he has, that he says is a significant oversight in climate models, is a missing piece of the puzzle that computer programs don't take into account, and that is the effect of clouds. He says that what we have now in our Al Gore film, The Inconvenient Truth, is a cloud-free earth. In other words, a totally artificial earth. And according to Clouser, this cloudless betrayal of the earth reflects the approach taken by many in the climate science community. He argues that we're working in those models from a totally artificial earth. Therefore, it's an artificial model because it's cloud-free. And yet satellite images consistently show wide variances in cloud cover, which can span anywhere from 5 to 95% of the Earth's surface. This cloud cover fluctuates dramatically on daily and weekly timescales. You can't have weather, he says, without having clouds because they play a paramount role in regulating the Earth's temperature. Cloud sunlight reflectivity thermostat, he calls it, controls the climate, controls the temperature of the Earth, and stabilizes it very powerfully and very dramatically. With two-thirds of the Earth being oceanic, the ocean becomes instrumental in that cloud formation. Wow. So this balance between the ocean, the sunlight and the clouds, the evaporation rates, etc., acts like a natural thermostat for the Earth's temperature. And that this thermostat mechanism has a vastly greater influence on the Earth's temperature than the effect of CO2 or methane. Now, he's presented this to various studies. Uh, Of course, he can't present them to the ones that won't accept anything that violates the narrative. He has run into that, where don't bother me, that's not what is government-accepted narrative. So he says that what you get out of the government-accepted narrative is very dishonest disinformation. The drive to address human-induced climate change is shaping and being shaped by political agendas, and it's influencing the strategic direction of entire nations. No kidding. We've been saying that even here on the Ward Scott files. You've heard me say, hey, the Rocky Mountains, weren't they made by receding ice? Come on. But this is the first time I have heard 
the story of the clouds, which makes sense. Come on. I know if you're out in the yard and a cloud passes over the sun, well, you've got a dramatic difference right away in the temperatures, right? So this is a problem. I wanted you to hear it first here, perhaps, on the Ward Scott Files, that it's a total waste, of, according to him, uh, U.S. government efforts to reduce CO2 and methane uh, is a total waste of money, time, and effort. And that, on the other hand, he's not expecting the government narrative to change. You know, the reason I took a little time with that is it sums up, does it not, the hocus-pocus that we run into with the government. Thank goodness somebody out in California apparently has some sense and has rejected the concept of the state talking about government delivering cash payments as reparations to the descendants of enslaved African Americans. A poll there revealed that California voters, by a two-to-one margin, reject this idea. Totally against it. There's no support for cash reparations. Um, it's going to get no traction. They don't see why the Democrats are pressuring cash reparations. Well, you know, it's not much different than the Democrats pressuring climate change. There must be money in it. There must be money. You know, the Berkeley poll, when this is what it was, when voters who opposed representations were asked why, they basically said it's not fair. It doesn't make any sense. Thank God common sense seems to have taken place in California. But will the government hear it? Uh, you're asking me? I don't, I don't have a clue. I mean, I can't imagine the government actually listening. Same thing is going on in a way with the New Mexico governor, Michelle Lujan Grissom, who issued an order Friday. Have you heard this? Suspending on her own, as if she were the entire government, for 30 days, state residents' rights to carry guns for self-defense in Albuquerque. Huh? The Associated Press reported that the governor made the move in response to gun violence in the city of Albuquerque. The ban on carrying guns began September 8th and runs for 30 days, after which the governor says she will make a decision about extending it. And this is what is really crazy. One question about her order's impact on the Second Amendment. The governor stressed her belief, now get this, quote, no constitutional right 
is intended to be absolute, end quote. Well, even the cops, the sheriffs, and the attorneys are saying they're not going, they're not going to listen to that. They're not going to ding anybody for violating that decree. Isn't that amazing? Let me pick this up locally. I just had a little old paw here. Locally, I want to cover a story here briefly with you. We have a new sheriff appointed by the governor. The sheriff is Emery Ganey, local fellow. Emery Ganey ran against Sadie Darnell about 10 years ago or so. Obviously didn't win. Emery Ganey is a Republican. He and another black fellow, Republican, Robert Woody, sort of fill the need for a black male Republican when it comes time to have diversity and all that business. They've been around here for a long time. Woody sits on practically everything from time to time. The mysterious thing about how and why Ganey became an interim sheriff right now until there was a race at the appointed time in 2024. The mysterious thing is that he was appointed before in Marion County because a prosecuting attorney or Republican, Brad King, went after a sheriff and, so to speak, caught the sheriff in a what we call a perjury trap. A perjury trap. Now, what perjury is, is you said something one time and then we ask you about it again and you say something different. We covered that story in great depth. And we came out kind of on the side of the sheriff rather than the attorney, the state attorney. These prosecuting attorneys, these state attorneys, are incredibly powerful. And if they have an attitude, you can make things difficult. Our local prosecuting attorney, state attorney, many argue did exactly that in the Boss Hart Rotos case. Wasted a lot of innocent people's time. Hurt a lot of people financially. And got away with it. Prosecutorial misconduct. 
is what those say his behavior was an example of. Prosecutorial misconduct is what they say Brad King's behavior was an example of. And Brad King wanted to do whatever he could do to get rid of that sheriff, who was Chris Blair. The same behind-the-scenes story exists with this prosecuting attorney, state attorney, and Watson, who was the sheriff. And in the Gainesville Sunset article, there's a little clue to that. It's the first time I remember Andrew Kaplan putting it in the narrative. That this prosecuting attorney had put together a grand jury to look into the behavior of the duly elected constitutional officer Watson Jr. And our sources you know, the research team is pretty doggone vast, told us, I'm going to tell you how we know this, that if you were subpoenaed by that jury, by that prosecuting attorney, it came out of the blue. In some cases, you didn't even work for the sheriff's office anymore. I mean, they didn't even know what they were being subpoenaed for. The subpoena didn't have numbers on it. This is what we were told. We'll eventually find this out. And that they were asked questions they had no idea why they were asked. And the only thing we know is, of course, the grand jury apparently has been disbanded. And the reason it's disbanded is that the sheriff resigned. Now, one of the things you can tell about that's kind of a a report card for a prosecuting attorney is see what they nolly. In other words, what do they prosecute What do they not prosecute? What do they charge? What do they not charge? And what is the charge? I received a tip about Brad King in Marion County. And the reason I'm saying this is that Emory Ganey replaced that sheriff on interim. And I was told to look up the story of a man named Leo Boatman. Let me refresh you on who Leo Boatman is. Leo Boatman killed two college students. They were Santa Fe college students. On a camping, who were on a camping trip 
in 2006 in the Ocala National Forest. Now, the sheriff of Marion County has a much bigger county to patrol than the sheriff of Alachua County. Furthermore, has the Ocala National Forest to patrol, which arguably is one of the most dangerous places on the earth. Because there's people living back in there you don't play with. But these kids are camping out there. And boatmen killed viciously both of them. I won't go into the details. Horrifying. The sheriff was in office then. That king eventually got in a perjury trap. The sheriff argument with King. This guy is a cold stone murderer, Leo Boatman. Give him, charge him with the death penalty. On the tip we got, King wouldn't do it. Broke the charge down. Sent him to prison. Locked him up. Where? Boatman kills two more people. Now, they were inmates, but their lives are still lives. The sheriff who had argued with King you got to put him on death row or he's going to kill again. Had arguments like that about crime with the prosecuting attorney. You get the drift of this story? Do you understand what we're talking about here? Look at the prosecuting attorney behavior in Atlanta. Look at the prosecuting attorney behavior with Hunter Biden. Now, all I can tell you is that It's an unusual set of circumstances when sheriffs are removed or choose to be gone in the middle of their terms. Because the people elected them. And the people don't want them, but the people decide. But they have to interact with these state attorneys all the time who are also elected. 
And don't they deserve to have their story completely told? There's a lot of bad blood in this community about the Boss Hart Rotos Riles case. A lot of bad blood. So right now, all I can say is that the tip we got out of Marion County suggested suggested that we take a look a close look at these state attorney offices. It's not easy. They control. They have. They, they hold all the cards. But it can be done. And for those of you who contribute to the Ward Scott Files, to our research fund, if you will, this is where things come in. So that caught my eye. That Emory Ganey was, I mean, I knew it was going to happen anyway. We knew that. We know, we, we only got so many black Republicans that we can, males that we can stick in these positions. Basically two, Woody and Ganey. So, and there's another story. Oh, there's many layers to this story, but I don't want to get into them right now, but there's a lot of layers to these stories. So the whole concept of state attorneys, prosecuting attorneys, is on people's minds because people no longer trust justice. They no longer trust the Justice Department. The tip that came to us is why would Somebody let this Leo Boatman go, particularly if you knew how he killed these two people. I'm not going into it. You can look it up yourself. Leo Boatman. Have a great day. We're all command center out.